Stevens. Welcome to These Are the Words. I'm Eric Grun. And uh, yeah, man. It's good music. Sorry guys, I'm just setting up uh, a video. Enjoy the music in the meantime. Uncanny Yogi, that's me, and welcome to the podcast, These Are the Words, 
and uh, <laughs> coming to you live from the institution. Oh, yep. Got my cane. Just took a walk. I'm in the community room, but I am live on YouTube, and I am uh, listening to some Cat Stevens. That's right. Same old story. Yeah. <laughs> Alright guys, let's get on with the podcast, I'll lower the music a little bit, <clears throat> and we're picking up where we left off in the struggle for the birthright, brought to you by God's Kingdom Ministries. Oh, dearie, dearie, dearie. Let's take a look. Let's take a look where we left off. The revolt against Rome, brackets, and God. 66 to 73 AD. In Abraham Leon Sachar's, or Sakar's 1930 book, A History of the Jews, page 117 this Jewish author writes ultimately Roman patience was thoroughly exhausted and the procurators introduced measures of barbarous severity soldiers slew on the slightest provocation Eminent Jewish leaders were crucified, while whole villages were raised, all in vain. A fever of martyrdom seemed to seize upon the harassed people. Fanatics went up and down the country, wild-eyed and frantic prophesying the end of the world and the advent of the Messiah. Multitudes were ready to follow every impossible visionary who claimed inspiration from heaven. Zealots rushed to their deaths, crying in hysterical exaltation. What was one to do with such a nation? The Romans were frankly bewildered they had dealt with many turbulent peoples, but with none so contrary, so insanely intractable. The war began in 66 AD. While Florus was the Roman procurator in Judea, Judea was seething with unrest and with hatred for the Romans. The Romans believed that yet another revolt could break out at any time. They had tried diplomacy in their own way, but it had failed. Now they instructed Florus to be firm and even ruthless if necessary. 
Josephus, the Judean historian of that time, wrote in his Wars of the Jews to Roman numeral 14, 3, and 4. He, <laughs> Florus, therefore, every day augmented their calamities in order to induce them to a rebellion. At the same time began the war in the twelfth year of the reign of Nero and the seventeenth of the reign of Agrippa in the month Artemisius or Gr. In our modern way of reckoning, the beginning of the war occurred in the spring of 66 AD. If we read history through the eyes of God, we see that history is simply fulfilled prophecy. Thus, without some knowledge of history, one cannot really understand what the prophets foretold by the inspiration of God. Those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. In the case of Judah, in the first century, they had forgotten the laws of tribulation and they did not believe Jeremiah's message. They forgot the reason for the iron yoke of Babylon, and so they were doomed to return to its heavy judgment. God intended to judge Jerusalem and the people for their hypocritical religion, as Isaiah put it, which they had demonstrated fully by their leader's rejection of John the Baptist and of Jesus himself. John had been executed at Passover of 30 AD, and Jesus had been crucified at Passover of 33 AD. Now their 40 years of grace, obtained by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 4, 6, was coming to an end from 70 to 73 AD. God moved upon the heart of Rome to appoint Florus over Jerusalem, knowing that his fear-based policy would only provoke Jewish rebellion and that rebellion would in turn provoke a response from Rome in the final judgment. Florus did not know that he was put, that he was but a pawn in the hands of God, for he could not see the bigger picture. The same was true for the people of Judea. Around that time, a band of Jewish extremists called Sicarii, Jewish assassins, were expelled from Jerusalem where they had caused much havoc. They managed to take the fortress of Masada by stealth and to kill the Roman soldiers who were there after the Sicarii had promised to spare their lives if they would surrender, Josephus says, and thus were all these men barbarously murdered, excepting Metilius, who was spared only because he agreed to become a Jew. These assassins, or terrorists, as we would call them today, remained at Masada, until the Romans conquered them in 73 AD. 
At the same time, the governor of the temple in Jerusalem began to refuse to make sacrifices for any foreigners, and they even rejected the customary sacrifice of Caesar. Josephus then tells us in his Wars of the Jews, 2nd uh, 16.2, this was the true beginning of our war with the Romans. Within a few months, as the people were traveling to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, open hostilities broke out. Wars 2, uh, 19.1. Rome's 12th Legion from Antioch was destroyed under the leadership of Cestius Gallus. 5,300 footmen and 380 horsemen were killed. Rome was not pleased with this and prepared to send a greater army to put down the revolt. It became apparent at that point that Jesus' words in Luke 21, 20-22 were about to be fulfilled. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Jesus was speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem prophesied in Jeremiah 19. He was also speaking of the days of vengeance prophesied in Isaiah 34.8. While these prophecies have yet to see their final fulfillment, they were at least partially fulfilled in the Babylonian War and again in the Roman War. The destruction of Rome's 12th legion was the final act that sealed the fate of Jerusalem. Josephus says in Wars 2.21 After this calamity had befallen Cestius, many of the most eminent of the Jews swam away from the city as from a ship when it was going to sink. Eusebius the 4th century Christian historian who was the Bishop of Caesarea writes about this in Ecclesiastical Histories 3, 5, I suppose. Furthermore, the members of the Jerusalem church, by means of an oracle given by revelation to acceptable persons there, were ordered to leave the city before the war began and settled in a town in Perea called Pella. To Pella, those who believed in Christ migrated from Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem moved to Pella, a city east of the Jordan River, many miles north of the Dead Sea. In other words, the tribulation did not decimate the Jerusalem church, who represented the good figs of Judah. God brought tribulation to judge the bad figs, those who remained in Judaism, those who supported the lawless, hypocritical religious system that had rejected Jesus as the Christ. Rome surrounded Jerusalem on the morning of Passover in 70 AD. The siege last, lasted until August, when the temple was destroyed on Ab 10. 
The same day that the Babylonians had burnt the first temple in 586 BC, Josephus again tells us in Wars 6, 4, 5. So Titus, the Roman general, retired into the tower of Antonia and resolved to storm the temple the next morning with his whole army and to encamp round about the holy house. But as for that house, God had for certain long ago doomed it to fire. And now that fatal day was come according to the revolution of ages. It was the tenth day of the month of Loos, or Ab, upon which it was formerly burnt by the king of Babylon. The iron yoke reimposed upon the evil figs of Judah. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, and the final devastation of the land was completed with the capture of Masada in 73 AD. During this entire time, the Judahites adopted the same attitude as their forefathers in the days of Jeremiah. They could not believe that God would actually fight against them. They could not believe that God was judging them for their sin. They could not believe that it was the will of God for them to submit to their hated conquerors. And so once again, the religious zealots and patriots among them brought the nation into utter disaster. It is clear from history that in 70 AD, the Jews came under the iron yoke as defined in the laws of tribulation. Deuteronomy 28, 48-50 says, Therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord shall send against you, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, who shall have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. Rome's national symbol was the eagle. The Roman Empire was also the fourth beast kingdom in Daniel which the prophet describes as having legs of iron. So this prophecy of the iron yoke and an eagle nation seems particularly descriptive of Rome. And it shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land which the Lord your God has given you. The Roman army besieged Jerusalem and all the towns of Judea until it had subdued all of them, even as Moses specified. Then you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because you did not obey the Lord your God. And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper, to prosper you and multiply you. So the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you shall be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. 
and among those nations you shall find no rest, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. Take note that Moses said this would happen to the people because of their disobedience to God. Those who do not believe the words of Moses may blame the Romans for this calamity in 70 AD. Others will blame circumstances. Some Christians blame the devil. But Moses gives God the credit for bringing this tribulation. Jesus said of them in John 5:45-47, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his, in his writings, how will you believe my words? The iron yoke as defined by Moses meant that the Judeans would be dispossessed from the land. Over a million Judeans were killed in this war. Many more were sold into slavery into other lands, but they were not yet fully dispossessed from the land. That is, they were not yet forbidden to set foot on that land. This order was given later after yet another revolt known as the Bar Kokhba revolt. From 132 to 135 AD. In spite of all their protests to the contrary, the Jews did not believe Moses any more than they believed Jesus. If they had believed Moses, they would have understood that it was not the Romans, but God who was bringing judgment and tribulation upon them. If they had believed Jeremiah, they would have submitted to the Romans and prospered under the wooden yoke, even as their forefathers had prospered in Babylon. But their reaction to the Roman army was identical to the reaction of the bad figs toward the army of Babylon many years earlier. They did not understand that God was judging them. Instead, they continued to fight to the death, thinking that God would always be on their side. It seems to be a fact of history that those who are lawless are also blind to their own lawlessness. For this reason... They fight the ones that God raises up to judge the nation. They fight the stick rather than repent before the one who wields it. Deuteronomy 28.64 prophesies that they would serve other gods in their captivity in other lands. Judaism fulfills this prophecy as well, for they do not worship the God of the Bible except with their lips. And so Jewish history books are full of complaints about how other people have treated them badly. As Christians, let us not be among those who purposely mistreat anyone, including Jews. And yet let us also recognize that God raised up people of ungodly character against them in order to judge them according to the law of Moses. God uses evil men for his purposes as much as he uses men of good character, but in different ways. The timing of the judgment of Jerusalem. This judgment of God from God came as a direct result of their rejection and execution of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. God gave them 40 years of grace in which to repent, but they refused. 
in their blind religious zealous, uh, zealousness or zeal, they fought until the whole land was devastated and millions dead or sold into slavery. John the Baptist was executed at Passover of 30 AD, about six months after he had been he had baptized Jesus. Matthew 14, 1 through 12 tells us that after John was executed, his disciples came and told Jesus. Jesus then fed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fish. The same story is told in John 6, where we learn in verse 4 that this miracle was done near Passover. John died at Passover of 30 AD. Forty years later, at Passover of 70 AD, the Romans began to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. Josephus, one of the Judean generals who had fought against the Romans until his capture, wrote of the 115,880 casualties carried through just one gate of Jerusalem. In his Wars of the Jews, 5, 8, 7, he wrote, no fewer than 115,880 dead bodies in the interview in, uh, in the interval between the 14th day of the month Xanthicus or Nisan in other words Passover when the Romans pitched their camp by the city and the first day of the month Panemus or Tammuz Josephus recorded that the Romans pitched their camp around Jerusalem to begin the siege at Passover in 70 AD. This was precisely 40 years after the execution of John the Baptist. The city was destroyed by late August of the same year. The temple was burned. All the gold melted from the heat. Later, in the scramble for gold, the people pried every stone from the other to salvage the gold that had collected like water between the rocks. By the time the destruction was finished, not one stone stood upon the other, as Jesus foretold in Matthew 24:1-2. And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple building to him. And he answered, and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. So the words of Jesus were fulfilled. Let me see how much I have left. Swirling clouds in violet I'll leave it off here. I'll pick it up next time um, for the rest of chapter 5, the capture of Masada, 73 AD. So thank you for joining in, folks. And uh, this is Easter weekend, Resurrection Sunday is tomorrow. And Passover, this is the time of Passover. So this is uh, a pro-pro. Uh, <laughs> I think that's how you say it. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your prophecies.
blessings and your prophecies, Lord, your warnings, your warnings. You give us ample time. You give us time to repent. You give us time to turn away and prepare ourselves for your coming and prepare ourselves for your feast and for the day of the Lord. Um, you draw close to us when we call upon you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for leading us always and using us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, until next time, have a good night.